everyone, and welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about eliminating screen problems in their home. This is Melanie Hempy, and I am so glad you are joining us today. If you are one of our regular listeners, welcome back. We know you have been hanging in there with all of your screen conflicts, and we hope we're helping you. And if you are a new friend, we are so glad you found us. Uh, we're going to become your best friends over here because we're going to help you out of this dark hole that you might be in. You're no longer alone in the journey of navigating screens in your home and you found your people. So today I am very excited. We're going to be speaking with Dr. Dunkley. Uh, in fact, welcome Dr. Dunkley to the show. Thank you, Melanie. I'm happy to be here. And everybody knows who you are, so you don't need a whole big introduction. <laughs> but uh, Dr. Dunkley, if you're new, wrote the book, Reset Your Child's Brain, a four-week plan to, get this, end meltdowns, raise grades, and boost social skills by reversing the effects of electronic screen time. And this is sort of like one of our uh, number one go-to books in our community. We are so thankful that you wrote it. So I know that you have probably an update coming soon, right? Are you working on an update? I'm working on it, but <laughs> yeah, we're hoping that it would come out in 2025 for the 10-year anniversary. Yes. Oh, great. Oh, my gosh. That's so exciting. We're going to be right on top of all that and talk to you about those updates on another podcast. But today we have a topic that we um, have had so many questions about screen time and ADHD and ADD and all those things. And so we're going to start with that in just a second. I always have to open with a little story. And I wanted to introduce you before I told my little story. And it's not really a story. It's just a little thing um, because I think you can speak into this. And mm -hmm. so Dr. Dunkley, we have been getting a lot of questions in our parent forums about binging. And, and it's like the question are, are things like, hmm. well, you know, I've done all this work to give my kid a gab phone and I've, we've been screen strong, but then they went to college and then they got a smartphone and now they're on it all the time. And so I would say, um, this is probably in the, definitely the top three could even be a tie for the first, you know, the top biggest concern that parents have. And as you know, and you know, <clears throat> my boys, they started college this year, just They've been in college for a few months. And so they were screen strong. They didn't have a smartphone. I have a very strong belief that as a parent, I will never buy any child a smartphone. I don't care if you're 30 years old. <laughs> so that's just my rule. And it's a great rule because I don't have to um, try to like make all sorts of caveats around this rule. We just don't buy smartphones for kids. So, but they're allowed to buy, of course, they're, they're over 18 and they can go buy their own smartphones. So we, they talked to us about it. We said, fine, if you want to buy it, they got a job, they earned money, they bought um, their first smartphone. It's kind of a super stripped down model, um, kind of a, not a no brand name, name brand, whatever, but, but it, you know, it's not a thousand dollar phone. I'll tell you that they spent about $200 and we put the one thing I will pay for is canopy. And I love canopy. It is by far my favorite right now filter. So they're all good with that because you know what? They're just kind of part of our team still. Like just because they graduated doesn't mean that they left our team. We're, we're still a family and this is what we do. So they're totally fine with it. But I want to tell the audience that they didn't sneak around. They didn't like do the aha, gotcha moment, mom. Now I got a phone. You know, it wasn't like that at all. They ended up getting it for a couple of reasons. In fact, one of them was thinking about still keeping his, a flip phone all the way through college. And I think that's perfectly fine too. But what I want to say is, yeah, are they using a little bit? I'm sure they are. I don't feel like that they're binging. I don't feel like they're going crazy on this phone. They, they do not have social media at all um, on this particular phone. And Canopy, we set it up. They, with us, set it up before they left the house and they, they just said, look, this is the only thing I need. And so on Canopy, you can just say, okay, just allow this and this and that and that. So it's sort of like, um, you know, accountability thing for them. But but we do have Dr. Stacey. So the filter filters sites? No, like it, filters, it, it actually just filters very specific um, like sexual content, which is what you want to keep off their, their phone. But yes, you can also just say, hey, allow 
uh, this and that, and but not this, right? So it does, it filter, it's not really a parental control in the sense that it doesn't give me reports on everything that they're doing. It, you know, it's, it's not, I'm not tracking them and all that, but what it is, is it, it filters out, like, for example, we checked social media, they checked it and, and we, and we said, sure, that's great. You don't need social media. So they get no social media on that phone. They, um, it mostly when they're on a website, will just, it'll filter out the negative images. So for young teenage boys, this is really a struggle. And they just said, look, this is so great that I don't have to worry that I'm on a website looking for something. And then there's a nude picture of, you know, or a topless or whatever coming across. So it filters that in the sense that it blocks it. Now the things still come across, but it is like a white box. So you don't see what that image was. And it, of course, it's AI technology through, you know, just through a server. It's fabulous. It's the best thing. <laughs> and we have it actually on all the devices in our home. It's not just, this is not for kids. In fact, the company, um, most of their customers are adults. And so anyway, but that works really well. But I guess what I'm saying is the questions that we have in the group are things around, well, what's the big deal? What, why even bother being screen strong when they're going to go ahead and get it when they leave your house? And so I want to say just a few comments, and I want to have you comment on that, and then we're going to dive into our main topic. First of all, you cannot ever teach a child how to use an ad addictive screen, like, responsibly. Like, you know, it's sort of like alcohol. And I know there are parents that have differing opinions on this, but the research says that the younger that your child is exposed and accessing drugs or alcohol, the chances are higher that they're going to have a problem. So the longer you wait, the better, and of course, and the longer you wait, you know, the better it is for their brains. It's better for your relationship with them. It's better on so many levels in our yes. home, right? We will never, we will never fund a, a drug in our home. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. It's not going to fund a drug. Yeah. Um, so, and then we don't teach them how not to get addicted by giving them the addicted thing. <laughs> so I think for parents, it's hard to figure that out. But then the minute that you hear that, you think, oh yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> that uh, again, research is very clear that if you're having conversations and you're trying to teach your child how to manage an addictive thing while you're allowing access to it defeats the whole purpose, right? They're not going to learn it. So if you're trying to teach your child how not to smoke pot, for example, if your values say that you don't want your kids to smoke pot, probably a good idea not to let them practice rolling joints. I don't know. Just saying. That's just what I'm thinking. It's probably a good idea. Um, the fourth thing is that we don't want a parent out of fear of what might happen down the road with the thing, right? So I don't know if you can add to that particular point, but I think a lot of times you probably have parents in your office and they're like, well, I'm so scared. If I don't do this, they're going to do this. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think, well, two things. I think the binging thing it, at that age is a much smaller problem than wiring the brain for addiction yeah. during their earlier yeah. years. The risk so and I benefits. It's yeah. not that it doesn't happen. But sure. it's just a, it's, I'd rather deal with that any day. And the, and the second thing is you're really, the part of the brain that governs self-discipline, you know, doesn't, it keeps maturing into, as, as you talk about too, into, into the mid twenties and even after that. So the longer you can get them, whether it's 18 or 22 or whatever, as opposed to earlier in the teenage years, the better you're going to set them up for success. So even though it might look like, oh, they're out of control now, you're still, if you had done it the other way, yeah. you would have a bigger problem on your hands. <laughs> you have a bigger problem. Oh, that is such a good point. And you got to remember it's pay now or pay later. So if, if you're just like what you said, even if they do have some binging issues or which I don't even know, you know, after, um, after they leave your house, um, that's a really good indicator that they would have been having a terrible time and a terrible outcome if they had been, you know, allowing it earlier. I think yeah. we think that we can just avoid it by giving it to them. It's just such a bad idea. And what you just said about the brain, that frontal cortex area of the brain that is able to manage, you know, self-control and all the things that are probably kicking in to allow them to like, you know, in college want to you know, get on TikTok for too long or whatever. That's, that's not developed till their mid twenties. And so, what I want to say to parents right now in our group, um, 
they say all the time, well, they're an adult, you know, they're 18, they're an adult. And I want to say, no, they're not. They're, they're not, an, they're, they're an adult on their driver's license, but they, their brain is not uh, finished uh, being connected. Yes. And I do see also like some kids, you know, they go a little crazy when they get to college and then a year down and, you know, we're continually having conversations about all this stuff, but then sure. a year down the road, they might say, I just got rid of my video game console because it was a problem. I thought I yes. could control it and I can't. So I just got it out of my dorm. Yeah. Um, wow. And then other kids, we just work on, okay, what are the worst offenders? Is it, you know, taking the social media apps off the phone, right. um, putting the phone in do not disturb, you know, at for most hours of the day or whatever it is. But we, you know, work piece by piece to try to reduce the use. And I do see, even though they kind of go crazy at the beginning, it doesn't mean you just throw up your hands and let it go. You have to still keep working on it. And and I do yeah. see kids coming around and making better choices, but it takes time and patience. Well, and I love what you just said, because I'm thinking of a situation currently happening right now with a boy um, in our friend group. And he, he went to school, brought his gaming controller, did that whole thing when he went to college. And do you know, over Christmas, he brought it home. It's really interesting because he said, he told his mom, I'm, I'm, I'm just spending way too much time on this thing. So, and you know, they were, they were pretty diligent before he left. So you, that's exactly the story of what you just said that, yeah, maybe they, they dip their toe in it, but the rebound is a lot different and they don't go as deep and as far because they're aware. And quite frankly, when you set your brain up not to have all this, you may have a moment, just like if you get a dozen donuts, you may eat too many donuts, but, mm -hmm. but then you realize, you know what, I don't, I, that's not my thing. I'm really not going to yeah. do that. And so Especially I, if they have that foundation of not just limiting screens while they're growing up, but also constantly hearing about what screens do yes. and how it affects them. And then they have a little bit more insight and self-awareness when they do see it in themselves. Cause they've ha you've had so many of those conversations, yes. you know, yes. similar to substance exposure. So I think, um, just don't give up, I think. Yeah. And I, I totally agree with you. Like when parents say, well, they're 18, they need to learn how to figure it out. They can't, they just can't. It's just <laughs> not realistic to expect that to happen. <laughs> Thank you so much for saying that because my boys, they know that they've heard it enough and we put canopy and we didn't hold them down and force them to put it on. They're like, oh no, 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 I need this. I need this. Like they know we have taught them that they are growing, they are getting mature, but they're not there yet and they need help. And quite frankly, we all need help in our house on this stuff. And yep. so it's not a bad thing, like a no, no, no. And I want to remind audience, if you're new and if you're just coming on board with a screen strong, we are not an abstinence based program in the sense that we do not, we are not anti-screen because I know there's a lot of organizations that are that just say, you know, get rid of all of them. That's not what we're saying. But we do help families detour around the worst problematic screens, the toxic screens, we call them. And that is video games, smartphones, including social media and pornography. Those are the three areas that we focus on. So enjoy a family movie with your kid. Watch a documentary. Watch a football game. That's not what we're here. So I want to clear that up here, too, as we have a lot of new people joining Screen Strong these days. And dovetail into just a little announcement about our new student course. Um, Dr. Dunkley, you have seen a little proof of the workbook and we are thrilled to death to get this thing out because right with what you were just saying, we have to educate our kids and yeah. we, you know, we have to have conversations. Well, now we're going to do another show to tell all the details about the workbook, but, but now what we have done is we have put all of our content from the student course that was on the digital course that we'll still have, of course. And we have now um, put it in print and it is by chapters. There's lessons, there's sections there. We cover all the things. So it's going to go even a step further. So if you ever have been out there as a parent, you know, wanting to know how do I explain this stuff to my kids? We've got it. It's just about ready to be released. So hang tight. And Dr. Dunkley, thank you so much for your yeah. help and it's over gonna, the years. It's fantastic. I have to say, like it covers so much ground. There's so many topics that sometimes, like for me, I try to stick, stay in my lane because there's so many other <laughs> issues you know, you know, with I porn know. and all that other stuff. Yeah. Um, and I try to just focus like on the physiological aspects. But 
your book covers all that and all of the hard issues. And it's just, it's, it's a great resource. Thank you. Well, we're going to have you back on a couple other doctors that have actually been on this journey with me and with our team for like the last number of years. Um, it's been quite a while and I'm just so excited to be able to put all this stuff, kind of all the wonderful golden nuggets from all of you guys. And we've got it now under one roof and I'm so excited. This book is just going to help save your kids. And um, actually when they read this and they go through this and you go through this with them as a family, or you go through it with, you know, your class, your school or whatever, they're going to have that foundation that you're talking about. So when they do go to college, yeah, they may, you know, get off the rails a little bit, but they're going to always be able to come back to the truth because the truth never changes. And all these medical facts really never change. We just get more and more of them. So um, thank you so much for that. I need to direct us now to our topic for the day, which is ADHD. So I'm going to kind of hand this over to you um, and we're going to go through some questions. These are just kind of real questions that we have from our group. And we're going to see how we can, can get through these because we know that you are the expert. Um, in fact, why don't you give us your background a minute and um, tell people what you do every day <laughs> because you can, they'll know that how expert you are. <laughs> Um, well, I'm an integrative child psychiatrist, so that means I look at lifestyle factors um, in terms of both what is contributing to the picture and also how to how to treat the child, and we try to minimize the use of medication. Um, and I've been working on screen time issues for over 20 years now uh, because I realized I couldn't get kids better until I addressed that first. Mm. Um, so even though I had all these other tools in my tool belt, I just knew um, and I, I, you know, I'm constantly reminded that if I address that first, um, wow. that's like the most effective thing. And also if the child starts going downhill, we always, you know, look at that area first also. And I just feel like it, kids don't get better without addressing it. Wow. Well, talk specifically about ADHD. I'm sure you see this, right? A lot in your practice. Mm-hmm. So give so, us a background on kind of what it is and what it means, and then let's dive into the questions. So basically, it's a, it's a disorder of attention issues and with or without some impulsivity. Um, so the child may be disorganized, you know, losing things all the time, um, struggling in school, having trouble with friends, um, you know, and it looks a little bit different, different kids, but that's basically the issue. So these kids, because they have trouble paying attention, they're drawn to screens like a moth to a flame. So it's, and it's why easy is that? For, why is that? It's easy because it's stimulating and it's easy for them to focus on it. And it kind of centers their attention and which gets to one of the questions on your list. But I think, um, I think some kids feel successful for, you know, for the first time when they're playing a video game, say, um, so just for various reasons, I think, you know, physiologically, they're drawn to screen stimulation. Well, and I think that it, I think that that is probably the number one thing. We're all drawn to it, right? First right. of all, I mean, you know, the screen platforms are designed incredibly detailed around the persuasive design to keep us hooked. And so if you have a child, they're naturally going to be hooked, right? Um, but if you're, if you have a child who has trouble, you know, focusing, then they're really going to be extra hooked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm, I, when parents talk to me, I'm like, they're like, but they love it so much. And, and I'm like, well, of course they do. Like it's, it's lining up two of the worst thing. Like, you know, a child who can't self-control and then a screen that wants to grab all your self-control. Like it's the perfect. Uh, yeah. Disaster. And I think we should, and I think that's part of the education too, is like when you're teaching kids about, screens and attention and video games to point to, you know, not be, not skirt around that issue. If, you know, if you played this game, you would love it. It would be exciting. It would be fun. It would be thrilling. You would start thinking about it and want to play again. Um, Cause they are fun and they are exciting. And mm-hmm. um, so I think we have, you know, we, we can't be shy about talking about that specifically, but yeah. then also at the same time, pointing out how that, affects the the brain's ability to pay attention to the natural world and be able to get things done and not be bombarded all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think the ADHD brain also has trouble filtering stimuli. So you can imagine 
if you have if you're being bombarded by screen stimulation all the time, the brain it's almost like shut down, so it's extra hard for them to filter anything else. And then over time, you know, the attention system is especially the developing attention system is very fragile. So if you're constantly challenging that system, um, you're over time that it won't work as well. So you're not just affecting them in the here and now, you know, if they're playing video games over time, you're going to affect the development of their attention system, which is already vulnerable. Mm. Wow. That's a really good point. And that, that goes to our point that we made in the beginning of the show that everything you do right now matters. It really matters. It really Um, does. Every minute counts. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's what I say all the time. Every minute is a trade. So you've got to decide what you're, you're going to do with that trade. So the first question is, um, for ADHD kids, have you found that meds help their screen time addiction at all, you know, and related to bad behaviors or did the meds really not make a, di- a difference with them wanting more screen time? Maybe that was what the, how the question was. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great question. I think the research, when I was writing the book initially, which was the, there was a couple studies looking at Ritalin and I think Wellbutrin, which is another non-stimulant medication for ADHD. Mm-hmm. There was a couple studies that showed that kids played video games less often. Mm. Um, and, and, and I think one of them was an Im- imaging study showing that their brains didn't light up the same way. Like it helped with cravings. Okay. Um, and that was over 10 years ago. So clinically, it, I don't see, it's, it's really hard to, I, I think it would be hard, really hard to look at that. Well, yeah, because I, yeah, you couldn't, yeah, you couldn't, it would be unethical. Right. But you and also I try see. to get them off before I even try a medication because most oh. of the time medications don't work if they're gaming at the same time because it's yeah. like stimulant upon stimulant. I think, you know, and I'm not in the position that you, that you are as far as your medical background, of course, but I would imagine that if there was such a drug that would help us not at all be addicted to anything, that that, that would be the drug that I would want some stock in. <laughs> I don't think that that's kind of out there yet, but... I would imagine with ADHD meds, if it, if it calms them down, you know, to certain levels, I would imagine that they're craving for anything. Yeah. And I think, um, in this day and age, even though the stimulants are first line treatment for ADHD, I don't even use them hardly ever anymore. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to go the medication route, um, I would look at, the, the other, the non-stimulant medications, Stratera, Wellbutrin, and then, um, and those are both antidepressants that help with attention. And then there's 10X, which is basically, or Intunin, which is basically a blood pressure drug that helps with the impulsivity. Okay. So some of those would be safer choices because then you're not um, throwing more stimulant, you know, another stimulant on top of a child who's already overstimulated. Right. Yeah. So then you might see if, but you'd still need to work on the screen time at the same time. Yeah. You, know, you wouldn't want to say, oh, okay, hopefully the medication will take care of this. You definitely ha- have to do both. So the next question is um, that we're doing a 30 day detox, she says, and he has untreated ADHD, meaning he's not a medication. But while talking to her therapist, she let me know it can be harmful to take away video games from untreated ADHD kids because they have low dopamine levels. And then she says, I have noticed my child has been more depressed sometimes. Should I be concerned? Other concerns are lack of empathy, depression, threats of self-harm, skipping meals. And if if we stop, will things spiral? So I think she's just asking, hey, if I take this away, because she's obviously realizing that the video game is like a drug, right? So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, if I take the drug away, if I take the video game away, what are my concerns? It's interesting that her um, therapist said, you know, to watch out for this. So what yes. would you, how would you I hear address this? a lot? Yeah. I think, and I think the therapist might be speaking to two separate things that I hear people say. One is that they're kind of self-medicating with the video games. So uh-huh. is that helping their dopamine levels, which is, it's like taking a drug. So yes, their dopamine would increase, you know, while they're playing but then you're making their whole dopamine system um, desensitized. Yeah. So we don't want that. And yeah. I think the other question that the therapist is speaking to is, 
are you, is the child depressed? And then you're taking something away from them that's going to make them feel worse. Mm-hmm. So that is, that speaks to the attachment piece, which I know, Melanie, you, you know, you talk about a lot as well, mm-hmm. that if you're, um, especially if you're doing a screen fast, which is what I like to start with, mm-hmm. you really need to spend time with the child, especially one-on-one, because if you do a screen fast or, or do a reduction without doing that part, you, you're just going to breed resentment and they could feel more depressed. Mm-hmm. So you definitely want to fill that void. And also you're competing for those, um, the reward pathways. You're trying to rewire that. So those reward pathways really have to do with attachment and keeping the child close to the, to the mother mm-hmm. for survival. Mm-hmm. So you're competing for those pathways. So you don't want to just remove, you know, the other thing that's hijacking those pathways without replacing it with bonding. The replacement is so critical. It is, it's so critical. Like I, I can't say it enough that you cannot expect any child, whether they're ADHD or not, you can't expect them to do well on a a screen, you know, fast, if you're trying to do a detox and trying to whatever, if you don't think ahead and have a replacement plan. Um, Mm -hmm. I love what you said about attachment because attachment, you know, and the depression around isolation, the only thing that can really fix that is being around other people and um, that, you know, you have to spend time with your kids. And I don't want people just to feel guilty. That's not why we're here, but we're here just to give you the facts. And the fact is spending time with you is at the top of the pyramid. Mm -hmm. Then other things can fill in. But what Dr. Dunkley is going to happen is the other things like going outside, you know, riding your bike, reading the book, doing whatever, those things are dull and boring now. So it's harder to get replacement activities for kids who have ADHD probably. And it's mm-hmm. harder, you know, the longer for kids who have been on video game, you know, drugs, um, this it's harder. So I really, I, I think it's, it's the mom and dad or caretaker, aunt and uncle, whoever, grandparents, they've got to be around people. Um, yes. I, that's and I think especially that first week, and, you know, I call it yeah. hurdle help, like the kids might need, younger kids might need you to sit down with them, well, older kids too, sit down with them and actually start doing something. They may say they don't want to do it. They kind of have to relearn how to do some of those things. And then really by the second or third week, they're doing it more on their yeah. own. Yeah. yeah. But you're still spending time with them. Um, even, you know, teens too, like you have to, you really have to spend time one-on-one time, especially. And you can't just tell them to do it. You right. have to actually <laughs> yes. do, you have to get them started, I call mm-hmm. it. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like with a toddler, you don't say, oh, go play by yourself. You get the bo- blocks out and you sit right. down and you start it and then they get going. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how it is. We have to remember that we're dealing with kids that are stuck and they're, kind of in and they're regressed her, and yeah. yeah they've regressed that's what I'm trying yeah. to say so for this particular mom she says she you know the same question I've noticed my child has been more depressed should I be concerned I think you should always be concerned if your child is looking depressed and it just means they need more time from you I mean I I don't I don't know if you want to wrap up the answer to that one um but she's saying was that in the context of doing a, a detox? I can't remember what. Yeah, that she's. They're doing their thirty day detox, and then she just says that you know she's noticed that he's getting kind of depressed, and then she's worried about the self harm. So again, yeah, I think the therapist was saying, yeah, it can be harmful because you know they'll go through a withdrawal. Right? Yes. So, and it really is a physiological withdrawal that that looks exactly like someone coming off stimulants. So, you know. It, and when we, when I did um, inpatient addiction, the person would come in withdrawing from stimulants. They would be weepy, depressed, sleepy, exhausted, um, and that's exactly kind of what it looks like. Mm-hmm. So, and also those screens might have um, kind of provided some kind of scaffolding for their psyche. So the parent mm-hmm. needs to replace that too. So they really feel out of sorts. Yeah. Um, and then you, and, and that's where the parent comes in. Yeah. So it's not that you, um, but you still, I, I feel like p- people get really scared about proceeding because they're worried that their child might self-harm or feel worse. Yeah. 
but you just have to be there with them. And sometimes I've had parents sleep with their kids, even teenagers, just so that, you know, or at least sleep in the same room so that they know the parent is there because they feel really out of sorts and alone. Well, I think the best thing is just never to start the video games with kids that have more ADHD problems. Yes. Yeah. And, and just know you're never going to regret not, not giving them video games. I keep hearing all these different theories like, oh, well, they need, you know, they, then they'll never learn how to play a video game. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's not a basic need of life. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it's just so like I, social media with, with kids. I, yeah, I say it all the time. I'm like, why do you have to train them to use social media? Like that right. really doesn't even make any yes. sense because they're, it only takes you about a minute to learn how to use it. So why are we going to spend the next, you know, five years teach them how to do it? It just doesn't make any sense. They're going to be fine. Right. Um, so yeah, with video games, yeah, you're right. You know, we don't have to teach them how to use video games. Yeah. Sure. And they're going to be exposed to screens and technology no matter what. Um, yeah. So don't worry that they're not going to be tech savvy. That just doesn't happen. Um, so you really just want to, you know, get rid of the things that you can and avoid the things that you can and minimize the rest. And you're just skipping it, you know, for what turns out to be such a short period of time. I mean, if you look at high school, it's only 48 months. I say this all the time. Can you not do something for 48 months? It's 48 months that we're not going to play video games. And we're going to do other things instead. So when you look at it that way in the scope of life, you know, it's very small. It's a very small period of time. Mm-hmm. And and again, with screen strong, it, you know, and people tend to go to the extremes. Okay. And they say, oh, well, you're sheltering your kids and, you know, this ADHD kid, you know, whatever, they all have to go and learn how to use it. And, and I'm thinking, no, they don't. And like you said before, it's just during this time of their development, it is just hurting. It is just hurting them. And they know plenty about video games. They know plenty about TikTok. They know plenty about social media and Instagram and all that. It doesn't mean they have to do it. but it do- And it doesn't mean that they're just like, you know, sheltered kids. My boys know everything about social media because their friends are on it and they talk about it. They know- it doesn't mean that they have to do it. So right. there's, they're not, it's not weird. It's just like, if you're allergic to peanut butter, you know what? You probably shouldn't eat peanut butter. Like that's mm-hmm. the thing. And that- when you look at it that way, it kind of helps a little bit. So yeah, let's. And I look- think also, I, I don't know how other people feel, but I feel I do feel, at least in my in my son's community, um, that parents are really respectful of you know, mm-hmm. of if your child doesn't do certain things, and they they kind of treat it the same way, like you were saying, like being gluten free or. You know, right. the child doesn't do that. So we're not going to do that in front of them. Or, you know, I, I feel like it, it's much more common to feel, to have parents be respectful of everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And it all goes down to how you present it and how I presented mm-hmm. it when my kids were little. I just said, you know what? We have friends and my older son had a problem with screens. So it's just not mm-hmm. our thing. This is not what yeah. we're doing. And and then thank you for understanding and whatever. You don't, you don't have to defend yourself all the time and feel terrible about it. Um, with this next question, um, this is for those who have done a detox with neurodivergent children, autism and ADHD, did you see behaviors and meltdowns ramp up initially? And if so, how many days did things continue to get worse before they leveled out and started to improve? Do, do kids tend to be more tired or sleep more during the detox? And she says, my son usually has a lot of energy, but I noticed when we restrict screens he sleeps more <laughs> love this he's probably exhausted <laughs> he's catching yeah. up yeah he's he is um so i think initially yeah if, if a child has asd and you know they're on the spectrum and they have adhd mm-hmm. it is more complicated i would say mm-hmm. but i still see kids getting better within a, a couple of weeks couple weeks. Okay. So I think they might, ha- you know, they might have more, um, sometimes parents get alarmed because there might be more self-stimulation behavior, more, you know, if they're hand flapping or just, you know, doing mm. like um, repetitive sure. movements or behaviors, those might creep up more because uh, to me, it's like the dopamine and all the overstimulation is working itself out of the system. Yeah. But that's, you know, that needs to be worked out and then they'll be more at their baseline. But I, I feel like it, if, if there's one category of kids who need to be mostly screen-free, it's, it's kids on the spectrum because mm-hmm. it literally changes their life trajectory. So I have seen kids 
become, you know, they start smiling more, they communicate more. I have kids who are nonverbal start speaking. It is incredible. Um, And, and, you know, they're, they're less irritable. um, And parents are always so worried, like, well, they don't have any other interests. Well, they're not going to have any other interests Mm -hmm. if that, you know, shiny. It clogs it up. Beacon is there. So yeah, it clogs (laughs) it up. So once that's gone, uh, they may not know what to do with themselves, but then, but it's an opportunity to start exposing them to different things and then figuring out what's, what's interesting and, and to them. And also if you can, it gives you an opportunity to do something that's more like socially reciprocal, mm. um, which of course is good for a child on the spectrum. And it's not going to happen overnight. And so, right. yeah, it does take a while. And the the longer they've been having the problem, the longer it's going to take, right? So it's going to take, I think really you give it a full month and At and least. then, yeah, and it's going to take like three months to really level out. But for that first month, I just would not expect um, anything really. I mean, I, I just wouldn't expect a miraculous recovery. Yeah. <laughs> the, and I think for- the longest I've seen someone to kind of come out of that is you know, an, a young adult, like in their twenties who had, who was depressed also. And at right about the six week mark, okay, he kind of came alive. He came. Oh, okay. And that was being, yeah. So it took a while, but that's kind of the exception, not the rule, I think. Yeah. But I still think you keep your eye on that six week mark and you just keep, and if, if it, if it evens out before then, then that's awesome. That's a gift. But keep your eye on the ball. It's a marathon. It's not a little race. It takes a while. And that mile 19 in the marathon, you know, we all crash and hit the wall. Not that I run marathons, but this is what I've been told. And so you have to realize that in the middle of those beginning stages, you're going to need to come in our group and say, what's happening. He's getting worse. (laughs) Uh And And also you're going to get, you know, you're going to get input from other people who oh. are telling you it's not the right thing to do. Yes. So just, I think just really the more, you know, and the more you feel um, grounded in the, in yeah. the, how, you know, what, what happens with the brain, how the ASD brain works, how the ADHD brain works, the more confident you're going to feel in your decision and just know that you're going to hear differing opinions, but mm-hmm. our opinions are correct. <laughs> so that's true. <laughs> and I really, I feel like I'm one of the only people who has really followed people over time and, you know, really for years. So yeah. I, I feel like that gives me a unique perspective on what kids, what families are doing, you know, where they have better outcomes and what, what contributes to the less Absolutely. outcomes. You have so much experience with this and that's why we're just so thrilled and we love your book and your, uh, you know, again, the title is reset your child's brain. If y'all um, haven't gotten it yet, this should be on every shelf of every family that has the least little problem with screen time. They need to understand what to do and the whole detox in here. Um, We have a 30 day detox that actually Dr. Dunkley, I'm getting ready to change it to a 90 day detox on our site, but we do have that because I really believe you have to go three months and Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, you don't start loving hobbies overnight. You know, you don't start loving basketball and baseball and collecting cards or, doing whatever, you know, it doesn't, those real life things just take a little time. You know, you have to create a platform for them to start trying things and everything is hard at first. And so we have to teach them how to stick to things and it it just takes longer, you know, than a few weeks to do that. And that's my hope too. Like whenever, if people get through the four week mark, especially if their child is on the spectrum or has ADHD or some kind of mental health or neurological issue that they keep going. And I think the four weeks is really just for them to see it's enough to see some dramatic effects. So ideally they keep going. Yeah. Uh, And one, can I say one more thing about the ASD um, child? So if you do a screen fast and you start to see really dramatic effects, like they're talking more, they're sleeping better, whatever, um, that can also be an opportunity to then go to the school and say, these are all the things we're seeing. We've gotten rid of all the screens at home. What else can we do at school to get rid of more screens? Um, and I am seeing more openness to that now at, mm. from schools, whereas before they would just say, no, this is just what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, more people are, are more aware of all the effects. So that um, when you do, and then when you, so when you add the, the school piece and the homework piece, like not having kids do their homework on the, you know, mm-hmm. on a laptop at night, 
um, then those those benefits continue to build. Mm-hmm. That's a cumulative thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and you just touched on the other thing that you're seeing is that your kids are sleeping more. And, and this parent's asking, is that okay? <laughs> yes, it's okay. Because what's happening is his body and brain is readjusting back to normal. Yes. And I mean, unless he's sleeping the entire day, but you know, I think that sleep is the big thing that uh, is so hard for parents to understand because it's not a real sexy topic to talk about. It's just like, okay, sleep. Okay, that's boring. I don't want to talk about sleep. Yeah, but the fact huge. of the matter is it's huge. And in our um, course, in our parent course and our student course, we talk how, you know, we just talk about how it's so important. Um, we have a whole little section in the student course. So get it, read it to your kid, say, look, this is what the science says about sleep. But I think that's why they're seeing that. I think that the brain is starting to reset. And right. now and when you're overstimulated, you don't go into those deep stages of sleep. Yes. And if you were to look at a sleep study while you're in those deep stages, there's like um, extra activity going on during the deep stages. So they're not truly in that deep restorative state, you know, the, mm-hmm. the stage three and sta- stage four of deeper sleep. Mm-hmm. They're not hitting that enough. And when they do, it's abnormal. Mm-hmm. So it makes mm-hmm. sense that when you're pulling all that stimulation away, they they might sleep even, you know, they're going to sleep more initially because they're kind of crashing and yes. trying to restore everything, reset everything, resynchronize the body clock. And then it'll start, it'll normalize, but it still might, it's still probably going to be more hours per night than they were sleeping before, which is yeah. a good thing. And that's one thing I do hear a lot. Um, and I think we've just been conditioned in our society to mm-hmm. think that, you know, oh, if they only get six or seven hours, that's okay. That is not okay. They need what, 11 hours, nine hours when they're mm-hmm. uh, probably by, you know, middle school, they still need, teenagers need nine hours and 15 minutes, right? That's yeah. what the chart says. Yeah. Um, so that's a really good point. So the next question is, are there any resources for teaching young neurodivergent children, ADHD and autistic, um, about why going screen free is beneficial for them. They are in the first and second grade, but both of you are intelligent and they read and they can comprehend above their grade level. If that helps with any recommendations, do you have any recommendation? I mean, I know we're going to have this, the student course here pretty soon, and there are going to be definitely things in there that they could read, but, um, yeah. What would you say? I mean, I think, um, I, I mean, just from hearing from families, I have heard parents reading my book, you know, certain sections, sure. especially about like electronic screen syndrome and what that looks like and what it, and then they can, you know, sometimes they can kind of see it in their friends or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I do think mm-hmm. also they, it's hard for kids on the spectrum to, um, they, they get really defensive about it. Um, and unless, uh, until mm-hmm. they're kind of off the screens and then they're in a kind of a bit more receptive state. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think reading books, reading articles, um, I think the workbook is going to really fit that bill. Yeah. Well, and just to let everybody know, we also have a preschool book coming out that is for this very purpose of explaining about your brain and what screens do to your brain and how to have a healthy brain. And and so that's also coming out very soon on the heels of the student workbook. And of course, leave it to me to do two big projects at a time. So that's <laughs> what I'm doing. So, but that is coming out for that because we do get some quite a bit of requests from that. The next question says, um, I would love to hear from anyone who has done a detox with a neurodivergent tween, a tween now. So we're 12 years old. He's 12 years old. He has ADHD and a DMDD diagnosis. And I know in Dr. Dunkley's book, Mm -hmm. she talks about a safety plan. And I'd love to hear some examples of those who have been there. My son is definitely addicted. He doesn't want to do anything else. He never has done um, teen sports because of anxiety. So that's not an option right now. If you're a parent of a child with a diagnosis of ODD or something like DMDD, I'd love to hear from you. I know it's hard either way, but it's definitely a whole different ballgame for these kids. That's a big question. Well, I want to say one thing about the... ODD, which is oppositional defiant disorder, and also DMDD, which is, I forget the actual term, it's dysregulation, something about mood dysregulation disorder. Right. 
And that is a new diagnosis. And I feel that is what I am calling electronic screen syndrome, which is Mm -hmm. being dysregulated from being overstimulated from too much screen time. Mm -hmm. Um, It came, you know, my thinking about that was if you look at the wording of how I was describing it, which was before the DMDD came out, it's almost the same criteria, uh, same wording even. Um, So I always, I don't really think that's the DMDD is a true diagnosis. And even oppositional defiant disorder, we kind of call that a wastebasket diagnosis. It's more of like a description Mm -hmm. um, of a child, you know, and to me, that's, again, that's being, if you're bombarded all the time by stimulation, you're going to be more in a defensive state, in the survival state, and you're going to be more oppositional because you're trying to control what you can. And that's, you know, one of the things that almost immediately gets better is that oppositional defiant behavior, no matter what their diagnosis is, the argument, the arguing, um, compliance, you know, when you ask them to do something, their compliance improves, improves because they're not feeling bombarded all the time and they can, they're acting out. They're not acting like an animal anymore. Right. 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 Mm -hmm. So I think, um, that is like the perfect case to try this in. Mm -hmm. And I think even though, um, a lot of parents, you know, a lot of kids on the spectrum have, um, coordination issues. So maybe they, you know, haven't done sports all along, but I still encourage parents to try to do physical activity and just trying different things. Maybe they can't join a soccer team, but maybe you can kick the soccer ball around with them. They can go play pickleball with their family. Yes. Pickleball, anything. Tennis. There's, um, some, a lot of places around here are teaching tennis to special needs kids and it's amazing. Um, that's awesome. So I think just don't give up on the sports thing. Just try to keep thinking outside the box and keep trying to engage them in something. And, um, cause I think that the physical activity and moving, and we know that, um, activating the, the cerebellum is, mm-hmm. is like one of the treatments now for, for ADHD. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also helps coordination and whole brain right. integration and everything else. So the movement and physical activity piece is really important. Yeah. And that also can be accomplished. Not just playing out in the backyard, but riding bikes as a family. Mm-hmm. That is, these are a lot of things you can do that can integrate your family time with the movement, with the, the fun and teaching. And it all yeah. kind of is a two for one kind of thing. And uh, I remember just when you were talking just here, just this second, I just remember um, when my kids were little and we were screen strong and one of them probably struggled a little bit more in this category of, um, you know, just controlling impulses. And I always kept a a big basket of ping pong balls in my kitchen and a paddle. And I would challenge them to, you know, hit the ping pong ball up and down a hundred times. Of course that was really hard, but they started, they would practice and practice and practice. And that was such a cool thing just practically um, for parents when they're going through a detox, you've got to have quick, easy pickup yeah. things that can still be movement, but mm-hmm. you know, you, you, cause you can't always drop what you're doing and go outside and play basketball or whatever. And, and, and you'd be kind of with them and I would count and, you know, he would do and try and if he would get mad and if he would hit it, it just, it wouldn't break a lamp. It's just a ping pong ball. Like that's what I discovered. I can yes. have a lot of these things in my house. So yes. you've just got to There's a have... lot of balls that bounce that, that are soft that, and yeah. that small that you can have in the house. I totally agree. I think that ping pong one is a really good idea, but also just playing tag, like ball tag, like throwing a softball at each other. Right. You know, kids think that's really funny, especially if they can throw it at you. Right. Um, <laughs> But I think that um, also, like I've been working with an OT a lot lately, and she's constantly, the first thing she does with every kid is have them do something where they look up. So using a balloon and pop, uh, you know, bopping yeah. the balloon back and forth, um, the ping pong thing totally meets that same need. Right. Like right. you're looking up and trying to, that's a great idea. Like so that. to just be, you've got to just be prepared. And so when you have kids that are already, you know, have these issues around their spec on the spectrum or whatever, you just have to be a little more prepared. And so if there's anything else that you can recommend, uh, so far, what we're, what we're understanding from you is that you've got to stick to it. You've got to give it some time. You can't, I'm hearing you say you can't waffle, you can't go back and forth because see, then if you give in and then they, you know, 
you get the video game, then you got to start over. Like it's to me, it's going to be more severe with those um, kids. What do you say about watching a you know football game, watching the Super Bowl with them on TV? Is that okay when you're going through it? Yeah, I think um, you know what I generally do is have uh, is allow a few hours per week of TV. If yeah. it's, you know, not, if it's a, not a fast paced show or anything like that, but a slower paced movie, an older movie or sports mm-hmm. or documentary, something like that. Um, yeah. So yeah. yeah, I think that would be fine. I think so that's you- a, I, we've talked about this before too. Like I, I feel like this watching the sports game together is much more of a social thing. Yeah. When you co-view, yeah. When you co-view, yeah. Right. That's that's the that's what you want to shoot for. You don't want to go park him in the room by himself to get right. on TV. You want to have it always be co-view as much as possible. And and she says in this question that her son was you know definitely addicted, but he don't want to do anything else. And so it's just going to, you know, I I after my I don't know I have four children. So by the time I got down to the last two, I realized, and I I don't want this to come out wrong. Because there's going to be some people listening to this. They're going to say, oh, you're the meanest mom out there. But so don't think of it that way. But I realized that I had to structure more of their likes. Okay. Like I couldn't just depend on them to have adult, you know, uh, brains around, oh, this isn't good for me. So I should do this instead. And I, when I finally figured that out, I'm like, why did it take me so long to figure this out? That I have to think ahead and I have to kind of think about what do I want my kids to do? Because, you know, I, I know that there are a lot of people that say, well, they all have their own interests and yeah, you have to develop their interests. But if you have a kid who's sitting there saying they don't want to do anything, then guess what? You're going to think of something for them to do. And I have jokes and jokes about when my kids were little and they would say they were bored. I would say, well, here's the toilet brush and you go clean the bathrooms. Well, guess what, Dr. Dunkley? They quit being bored. They they started figuring out what they wanted to do. <laughs> right. So that really helped. The other thing I want to say is music. You know, we talk about sports a lot and that they have to get out and run. And she's saying that her child doesn't like sports. Let me tell you, music is just so therapeutic. Invest in a nice digital piano. Don't get one that's on this little flimsy thing that's just going to fall down. Um, you can find a used Yamaha digital full-size piano. You're going to spend a lot of money in therapy. Let me tell you, uh, this is the best therapy that we ever could ever put any money into. And um, as a result, both of my kids actually are incredibly good at playing music, but, but you don't have to be good. You can just play one song over and over and over, and it still affects the brain the same way. So if you have a neurodivergent tween, chances are they're very smart. They're, they're very quick to pick up things. And, um, so put music in front of them, any kind of instrument, of course, good. And it might, you might have to try different ones too. Like, yeah, yeah. Try different ones, but put, put a guitar, put, you know, I wouldn't just put one thing out. I would, now, drums, we never did. Okay, I'm just saying. I, I had to draw the line somewhere because <laughs> I wasn't sure I could live through the drums. But we had banjos. We had guitars. We had ukuleles. Um, the piano and the violin, of course, we had. The piano became, once we got the digital piano, I will say that was the one of the best things. Outside of our fire pit for 50 bucks that I bought years ago outside, the digital piano was the best investment. And the reason why I'm saying digital is because they can um, they can create uh, all the extra instruments and they could create songs that were just unbelievable because it because with digital you can just do so much more with it and then they could record them and they could do all the things you know that were interesting and um, so that that was definitely something and I think for any child even if they aren't musical nobody's musical right nobody is like you, you have to start it and. I think putting it um, in front of them and with a digital piano, you can even program it to play a song. So it's fun. It's like, oh, let's see how this piano plays that. And then let me see if I can do it. There's just hours and hours and hours. Plus, we love a trampoline, Dr. Dunkley. That was like- I was just going to say trampoline. Yes. The trampoline. So for the mom who's struggling uh, because she's got the you know DMDD uh, kid, you've got to have different- few different things. You're going to get some ping pong balls. You're going to get a trampoline, you know, with a net around it. That's fine. And you're going to get a piano. 
And then you're going to have plenty to do art and cra arts and crafts, of course, always, always, always have something out on the kitchen table, something that's easy. The key is it has to be within reach. You, you can't expect a kid to have the brain width to be able to think ahead. Oh, I think now I'm going to my bedroom to get the box out to get my art supplies. They're not going to do that. You have to have them out and you're going to have to play some ping pong, some pickleball. You're going to maybe have to get on the trampoline sometime. You're going to have to maybe draw a picture sometime. You're going to have to help yeah. them. It's a little, and, and be, it, it's a little messier. You know? Yeah, it's like messy. Oh, for sure. Stuff around, like more stuff to pick up. Yep. But it's definitely it's so worth it. Yeah. And you're going to need to have them help you in the kitchen every night. I just want to say that if your child is playing Fortnite while you are cooking or doing the dishes, you're doing it all wrong. They should never be on a screen while you're doing the dishes. You should never do the dishes if you have kids in your house, right? They, they should have a job. And I, I, all the time when this, when I finally figured this one out, our life changed. And guess what? My kids know how to clean and they know how to cook and they're going to be just fine when they actually have their own families. But if you're just put a rule, that's just going to be a good rule. I'm going to talk about that rule some more. I've talked about it before. I'm going to talk about it again, how we have to, to stop and look and see what we're doing to contribute right to the problem. Yeah. And there was a huge study called the learning habit that talks about that. And it was like um, less, you know, to, that were linked to higher grades was less screen time, more time with parents and chores. Wow. Chores. That's right. Yeah. And if you can and it do was like a linear relationship. Yes. Uh huh. We're going to put that, I got to go find that and stick it in our group. And so the other thing know. about ADHD kids and ASD also, um, is they really need outdoor time. Yes. Sunlight, sure. yeah. nature, all of that stuff. Yeah. But I think, yeah. um, in our society, there is a lot of indoor time in general, Mm -hmm. um, and we think sometimes we think, oh, you know, well, he is, he does go to the park or he does have recess or whatever. So he's outside. No, they need to be outside for some, a lot of kids with ADHD for several hours every day, every day, mm -hmm. every day. Yeah. And then that makes a huge difference. So I've, when parents actually experiment with that a little bit and then they see what a difference it makes. Yeah. They will move mountains to make sure that happens. And the way that you make it happen is you put them in the car and you go to a park and you take a book and you, you're, you, you're there outside while he's playing with other kids. Because if you just say, go outside in your backyard, then he's going to come back in in eight minutes. That's what's going to happen. So you have to literally, I mean, at least in that first month, you have to remove yourself <laughs> from yeah. your surrounding play with them at the park are you, you, you are oh, no, you definitely playing play with, with you know him and yeah. the kids or they're playing tag or whatever and if you join yeah. in yeah i mean you don't necessarily have to do that but i think it does help um no but you can do that, that to start with you're gonna have to get out there and play and then and then you're gonna help them introduce themselves to other friends and you're gonna bring some balls and then all of a sudden they're gonna be playing and then you're gonna grab your dog-eared copy of reset your child brain your, your child's brain and you're gonna go sit on the picnic bench and you're gonna read it again if you've already read it once and if you have only not read it once you're gonna read it once and that's where you're gonna get your reading done um, so many parents just say I don't have time I don't have time and this is how I've read all the hundreds of books that I've read um, in these little nooks and crannies of you know um, finding little pockets of time when my kids are doing things like that so yeah and, and I will say also like um, when they're at the, if, if they're playing at the park, I, it's so tempting to like get your phone out and turn oh, it, you can't have things your off your to-do list. No, 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 no. I mean, I do say, you know, think some people are really trying to get work, some work done. However, your child we, sees that and not no. only is it modeling bad behavior, but they see you not no. paying attention to them. You cannot work. Especially at the beginning. Like they want you to, they want you to watch them constantly. Yes. Yes. They want you to care about them, to be with them, to be alongside. They need that relationship they've lost. And, and they you, need to be seen. They yeah. need to be seen. Mom, watch me, watch me, watch me, you know, over and over and over. And that's true of all kids, but especially kids that are really struggling. And by the way, you cannot do work on a screen outside in the sunshine. So just leave it in the car, get your book. You can read a book in the sunshine. And then your child gets to see, oh, everything is so calm. Look, my mom's reading. I'm playing with these mm -hmm. kids or, you know, and I'm not saying you have to read. You can play with them, but you really do want them to play with other kids. That's kind of your goal. Um, this has just been so helpful. Okay. We're out of time. Oh my goodness. Because we still have more questions. So I guess we're going to have to have you back. <laughs> we have 
more questions. Um, These are great questions. I, I love doing this. I'm, I'm glad I to know. Well, I'm, I'm going to say that we need to talk about what happens when they go to school. Give me one or two sentences on that because, you know, we're doing our fast. And, and, and like you said, you've got to go to the school. You've got to tell them that for the next period of time, this is what we're doing. And they've got to work with you because there's so many questions about on our group with parents who have kids that are struggling and now they go, they fix everything at home and then they go to school and then they get their screen drug at school. Right. And I'm sure you have people, kids in your practice that you think are detoxing, but they go to school and they're playing Fortnite at lunchtime on their kids and their friend's device or something. So, right. Yeah. I think if you're, um, you know, it depends on the case, but I think one thing that most people can do pretty easily is just talk to the teachers and see if there's any extra, if the teachers are actually giving screen timers or is there anything they can eliminate? If, can they switch any of the assignments to paper, let mm-hmm. them know what you're doing um, and then keep talking about it. So like I was saying earlier, like sometimes teachers and schools are, are kind of resistant initially. They kind of have a knee jerk response. Yeah. And then, especially if they see some positive changes, they're more open to yeah, you have to be kind. You have to be kind, but you have to be the squeaky wheel. And then you have to offer suggestions. And on our website, we have a tab about this, about school resources. And we actually have a letter that you can use or, of course, edit to, to fit your own needs. And um, we have suggestions in there about, uh, you know, what to do instead. And so I, I don't like going to schools if I'm just going to complain. I want to have some suggestions of what things could be different in the classroom. And maybe it means that the mom, me, the mom, I go in and I volunteer once a week and I help the teacher teach them how yeah. to knit or do puzzles or something. Like mm-hmm. you have to, you ha- you can't just be whining all the time. You have you to have a solution for come sure. up with the solutions. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think there's, yeah. And I mean, the teachers are human. If yeah. they know someone is there all the time helping and they're going to yeah. be much more likely to help that that parent. And for the younger grades, I used to bring in a whole bag of think fun games. I'm, you're probably familiar with those like rush hour, all those games. They're so rush hour is so wonderful. So right. Yes. So I would just get a whole bag of those. I still have them at, at the house and um, I would take them in and they would use them and they would do that instead of these ridiculous, you know, uh, games that they let them play. Oh, you finish your homework. You got to do this. You know, you got to right. get on a video game. I'm like, no, 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 no. How about this? And, and the kids love them. And that's what they, but you know, I would bring them in, use them for a semester, take them to the next class. You know, I just invested in some things because I wanted the change to happen for my own kids. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Well, thank you so much. Can you just, um, can you end us on a note of encouragement for the mom who's maybe tried, she's on her third try trying to do the detox, you know, and she keeps, um, you know, giving up or maybe the, the child has just got, you know, such a defiant problem that it's really hard. Cause I know how hard it is. I know how hard can you encourage our listeners, the people who are there in that spot, because they may be listening and they may be thinking that's fine for your kids, but I'm exhausted. I'm just, I'm just losing it. I don't know if I can do it another day. What would you say if they were sitting in your office across your desk? I think just keep, um, keep learning. You know, if you feel exhausted and overwhelmed and like you, you're not ready to pull the trigger or just keep learning and just sleep on it, you Mm -hmm. know, Hopefully you'll feel better. And then um, it, some days you just can't do anything. Yeah. Um, and don't give up. I think if you mess up, if something happens during the fast, it's okay. You know, it's obviously that we don't want that to happen, but it, it's, if it happens, move on, keep going. All of these messages do sink in, even if there doesn't seem like it, it does help. It does mm-hmm. help for the pediatrician to say something to the child. It does help for you to be continually um, doing these things. You know, a lot of kids will say, at, you know, when they're a little bit older, oh, you drove me crazy, mom, but now I, I see yes. what you're saying and I'm so glad I lived that way. Yes. So even yes. though it seems like a thankless job and it can be really frustrating, do not give up. Yeah. And you got to get a friend, right? And get a friend for sure. Glad and there's more and more, I really th- am seeing that. There's more and more parents who are open to living this way. Yeah. Um, and even if they're not living exactly the same way, they're close. Yeah. So I think yeah. find that tribe and, right. and get your support that way. 
You got to get, you got to get educated and you've got to get a community. And that's those two things, not one or uh, or the other. You have Mm -hmm. to have both. You have to have both. So thank you so much for sharing that with us today. And thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy patient schedule to jump on and um, get on. And we are going to have you on again really soon because we keep saying, we said that last year and we didn't hit as many times with you as I needed to. So that's my favorite podcast to do for sure. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. I'm going to get Dr. Dunkley on. You're going to come back on when our book is out and we're going to do a little walkthrough because I think that'll be fun for you That'd to talk great. about the things that you think will help kids the most in that workbook. Thank you for coming. Okay. Thank you, Melanie. And thank everyone for listening today. I hope you leave encouraged and not discouraged over the screen issue in your house and just all the ways that you can help your kids. And we really want you to be motivated to take the steps toward becoming a screen strong family. We feel like this is the most evidence-based, best evidence-based solution out there. So in order to do that, just like Dr. Dunkley and I talked about a minute ago, got to get educated and you've got to get a community and we take care of both of those things on our website. We have a Screen Strong Connect group where you can go in to the forum and ask questions all day long of parents in there and that is free to everyone. And then with the Connect Plus, we add additional educational pieces to go with that. And uh, we have videos. We have, um, in fact, um, some videos with Dr. Dunkley and I are in there. So that is the Connect Plus, and that's a monthly subscription. And then if you are so excited about this and you're doing really well on your Screen Strong journey and want to be an ambassador in your area or even at your school, uh, please contact us. We will train you. We will give you a slide deck. You can go into your parent groups in your school and educate them. Remember, we've got your back over here, and we're here to help you remove all the screen conflicts in your home. So until next time, stand up for your kids, stand out from the crowd, and stay strong. Stay strong.